No taxation without representation. 200 years of exploitation in the capital of this nation. No representation in the capital of this nation. 200 years of exploitation. Give the people their right to vote. Someone asked me, was it true? The voting rights of the district were long overdue. That was Sweet Honey in the Rock with Give the People Their Right to Vote. Hello and welcome to Shadow Politics, an hour-long grassroots talk show that will attempt to shine a light on the issues that you care about. I'm your host, United States Senator Michael D. Brown, coming to you live from the District of Columbia, America's last colony. I'm joined by my co-host, Maria Sanchez, and together we hope our show will start a dialogue with America about the issues that are important to you and affect the lives of all of us. Feel free to call in and be part of the discussion at 888-627-6008. Maria, how are you? Michael, I just wanted to acknowledge that two years ago, you and I attended the gala awards ceremony for the Global Woman Peace Foundation, and they walked the next day in the 5K from the Lincoln Memorial. Yeah. And they had that event on Friday. I was the keynote speaker. And on Saturday was the walk, all virtual, of course. So everyone remembers you fondly participating in that because it's always great to have men in the cause of eradicating female genital mutilation. Well, it, you know what? It's a very hard subject to talk about on the air. And when I first, when you first approached me with it, uh, I, I was really, I, I really didn't know how I felt, but about talking about it. I mean, uh, I mean, obviously, I, it, it's something I'm against. But then when you explained to me how many women this affects worldwide and affects in, in the nation, and, you know, it even affects people at Mrs. Brown's school. There are people, you know, school. many of the people at Mrs. Brown's school are, are, are you know, immigrant students, students that have just come to the United States. And some of oh them... My. Actually, you know, ha- ha- have been sent back, I think, to have this done. And it's just a yeah. horrible thing. And thank God that, Maria, that you stand up for it. And and uh, I know you were the keynote speaker. And, you know, we're always proud of the work you do. So thanks. Thank and you. Thank you. And we thank you. Of, of proud uh, uh, people to, you know, things we're proud of. We're proud to have Dr. Ife Williams with us. Yes. Now. Uh, she is a contributing writer to Trish Edney Wire Service and the host of a weekly radio show, Wake Up, Stay Woke, on WPFM uh, 89.3 FM here in Washington, D.C. She's president of Dick Gregory Society, national president and CEO of the National Congress of Black Women, and former counsel to the U.S. Congress District of Columbia Subcommittee on the Judiciary and Education. She was appointed to the Presidential Scholars Commission by President Barack Obama and served as White House liaison to the U.S. Department of Energy during the Clinton administration. And uh, we're so proud to have her with us tonight. Dr. Williams, thanks for being on the show. Well, Senator, I am so excited to be on with you. I want you to know I drove all night last night to be back home for this. I didn't want to miss it again as I did the other time. So I got home before day this morning. I said, I've got to be in Washington, D.C. for this. Nothing can stop me. Nothing can keep me away. <laughs> well, you're just wonderful. <laughs> and let me, let me ask you, because you have been all over America lately, why have you been all over America? Have you? Are, 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 I assume that that uh, uh, you're not just traveling for fun, but that that uh, you've been you've been doing some important work. What, what's up? Well, you know, uh, Dick Gregory was known as uh, my running buddy, my best friend. He passed away in 2017, and I was the last person in the room with him. That's why I named my program "Wake Up and Stay Woke." Those were words he often used. And those were the words I heard him say just before he made his uh, transition in 2017. So I wrote a book, you know, when I'm in pain, I write. Oh, I write so much, so often. 
but I wrote about this book that was my way of having some therapy in 2017 and beyond, and I named the book Wake Up and Stay Woke, so I've been around the country doing book signings. Well, that's great, and uh, um, how can people, let, let's start by saying how can people get the book? Is it available uh, in regular bookstores or online in Amazon, or how do we get well, the book? It, Right, it's it's in some bookstores, but mainly through Amazon.com. And for people here in Washington D.C., all they've got to do is uh, call me, and um, I have a number that uh, takes orders. It's two zero two five five four zero one five nine. After the show, of course, I'm on that number right now. But uh, yeah, people in D.C. can pick up the book right from me. They don't even have to wait for it to be mailed. But if they're in other cities, other places, then Amazon.com. The book is called Dick Gregory, Wake Up and Stay Woke. Dick Gregory, Wake Up and Stay Woke. I mean, those were words of advice he always gave us. You know, he would say, you know, we got certain rights, and then we went to sleep, and they were taken away. And that's certainly true with um, our voting rights, you know, about all the voter suppression that's going on and other things. And, of course, in statehood, We've all got to wake up and stay woke because we've still got to achieve it, and we will. We've just got to keep working at it. Well, that's true. And let me tell you, I've got to just give you a brief, strange history of my relationship with with Mr. Gregory. He came to my little white college in suburban Maryland when Mm -hmm. I was a student 45 years ago. Nobody Mm -hmm. knew who he was. Uh, you, you know, he was a stand-up comedian at, at the time and, and, you know, in getting well-known. But but this was early on in his career. He slayed the audience. I mean, I remember <laughs> laughing so hard that we couldn't breathe, uh, you know. And then when we left, we, had to, we thought about the things he said. I mean, and that was – was that not – his 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 real talent is that he used his comedy to make us think. Absolutely, uh, that's exactly what he did. You know, people often ask me, "Well, how did I meet Dick Gregory?" I guess we were so very different in so many ways. But I wanted people to understand that he was more than you know a mere comedian. He was somebody, as you said, who could make you think. But he also was a nutritionist. He had our you know our good health. At heart, no matter where he was, on the street, anywhere, if somebody stopped and asked him what do they do for their health, he was ready to tell them. But in addition to that, he was a civil rights worker. He stood up to the most racist segregationists in the South, and he didn't have to do that. But he gave up millions of dollars just to help people, you know, be um, to, to be free is basically what it was to have the rights of all of other Americans. And that's the story that many people don't know about him. They only know him as a comedian. But even in his comedy, he was making people think, as you said. Oh, always. And, you know, uh, I, I don't want to monopolize the show here because I know Maria has a lot of, uh, of things she wants to ask. But I also want to add that's the second time I met. Uh, Dick Gregory was I had a friend who was a registered dietitian and I went to her graduation uh, ceremony and there he was he was he was part of it at the University of Maryland uh, where, where, where she graduated and then ultimately after I got elected and I met him a few times I, I wish I'd gotten to know him better but uh, he was very kind to me he always gave me advice and was always supportive of the work I did so I, I couldn't, you know, the man was just a wonderful man, and, and uh, we're blessed in Washington, D.C. for having had him so long. Maria? I'm glad you shared that story with me, and that is the final question I always ask my guests uh, on my radio program is, did you know Dick Gregory, and what do you, re- what do you remember about him? Everybody has a Dick Gregory story. Yeah, and and you know for very good reason he was he was a great guy on so many levels as as you point out, Maria. I'm sorry, I seem to be monopolizing things. Well, because of the passion involved, Doctor Williams, thank you so much for making yourself available. And the first time I laid on eyes on you was at the Turn Me Loose post performance when oh, you did yes. a Q and A with Pacifica <laughs> Radio and. Then we met after that in the lobby, 
And then I actually interviewed you on October 27th in 2018, and I'm looking through my notes of our conversation. You were so kind to give me your time because at the time, I was doing an independent study on the life and activism of Dick Gregory for my Ph.D. program as a student. And and I read all of the books that he wrote, and now I'm Mm -hmm. really looking forward to reading the book that you wrote. But one of the quotes I have in here is that you two were having a conversation in the summer of 2016, and he said, and I have it in quotation marks, Hillary is not going to win, and after the election, we're going to have chaos. Now, how prescient was that? Uh, Yeah, you know, I just always called him prophetic because he would tell me lots of things like that. And you remember in 2016, particularly women, we were so excited that we were finally going to have a woman president. There was nothing, it seemed, that could stop us at that point. But he was always brutally honest with whatever he was thinking, and you're absolutely correct. He did tell me that. He said we were going to have the National Guard called out. He told me about all the you know, riotous things that were going on, and man, on January 6th, didn't that happen? And, you know, the the story just kind of evolved over the years, first of all, with Hillary uh, losing the election, and or not winning the election, I should say, and it reminded me of an, uh, an election for which I ran as United States Congressperson in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it, many things happened there that nobody could have predicted. I was actually announced as the winner, and it was called back, and I was told that I lost by less than half of 1%. So as I thought about Hillary, my heart just broke because I remembered how it felt when you knew that you had done everything that you could do, and you knew that the person against whom you were running was not the right person for that office. And that happened just like that with Hillary. And he helped you with your congressional campaign, as I recall. He did, yes, of course. He was in Baton Rouge, as a matter of fact. Uh, to visit with his daughter, who was at Louisiana State University. And uh, while he was there, Congressman Mervyn Dimely from California had come down to help me with a political event, and he invited Dick Gregory over. And I kept talking about all the things my mother taught me. My mother taught me this, and my mother taught me that. And, you know, you never uh, had to give him time to prepare. As soon as I was finished, he was invited up on the stage, and he said, i got to meet your mother. My children don't remember <laughs> anything I said. Man, you remember so much that your mother said, I've got to talk with her. He said, the only time I get to talk with my children is when I pull my chair up to the refrigerator, and I know at one time they're going to come to that refrigerator. So that was my beginning of knowing him. And, you know, he spent much of his time here in Washington, D.C., when he wasn't on the road. And um, I met him when, when uh, I met him again, I should say, because I came back to Washington after that race was over. And one Friday night when the traffic, you know how bad it is from here to Baltimore on a, on a Friday night, he actually called me and asked me to come to Baltimore and pick him up. And after one of his shows, I'm going, you don't know me very well. I don't like driving in traffic that much. But he was so charming, and he, I finally decided I would go and pick him up. And when I got there, you know, being on time is not one of, was not one of his traits that he honored. He was not ready. I had to wait for him, had to help him pack and bring him back to D.C. And once we got back here, he began teaching people how to cook um, vegetarian hamburgers. I guess that's what you would call it. And he started inviting people over to my house and fixing these hamburgers. And the point he wanted to make with them is that it doesn't matter what you're making the hamburger or whatever meat from, even though this was veggies, what matters is the seasoning you put it in. That's what's going to give it the taste. And so he would put a lot of cheese on it. And I'm going, he's a nutritionist now. He's supposed to know better. So I don't know. Maybe he took away all the health benefits of that veggie burger, but they were really great. And that's how I learned to uh, love black bean, um, you know, uh, hamburgers, I guess you'd call it, black bean burgers maybe you would call it. But um, then the funny thing, which his his family, everybody's shocked when I say, and he also taught me how to wash dishes. And I'm going, wash dishes? What do you mean? Everybody, all young girls learn how to wash dishes. But when he would make those uh, burgers, he then would say, now we have to wash the dishes. And he said, you have to first run some water on it, run, get everything off the dishes, then put some hot water in the sink with some Clorox, let them soak, and then you put them in the washing, the dishwashing machine. And I'm going like that little girl, you know, on television that you often see, who says, well, what is the dishwasher for after you do all of this? But yeah. that's the way he taught me how to wash dishes and said that's how he learned to do them in the military. 
<laughs> well, first of all, I got to tell you, I, I had no idea you were from Louisiana. One oh, of the I am <laughs> one of the great summers I ever had was the summer I spent in Chalmette, uh, uh-huh. uh, right outside New Orleans when I was French uh, country, uh, yeah. <laughs> I was a teenager. That was back in the bio, and mm-hmm. but uh, uh, yeah, I, I've got to say your comment that he always, you know. Uh, spoke the truth, always, you know, said what needed to be said, spoke truth, truth to power. That's the last time I saw him, too, was at an, was at an Emancipation Day breakfast. And, and mm-hmm. I'm sure if you've been to one of these breakfasts, uh, Dr. I Williams. have. In yeah, fact, yeah. he and I um, did one together. Um, we, we went all around uh, to do speaking in different areas of the city, uh, so we've done a lot of things together. That's how we call ourselves running buddies because we were always running from one event to the other. If if I were not there, people would ask him where I was, and if he were not there, they'd ask me where is Mr. Gregory. You know, so we were just sort of a team, and we would pick at anybody who deserved it. We were we were such picketers that we would carry uh, signs around in our car. We could stop on a street where where we saw someone picketing. And just say, what's the cause? What are you picketing for? And they would tell us, and almost always it was something about labor. You know, it was about minimum pay. It was just about something that was just this issue. We just go to the car, take a sign out of the trunk, and come back and join them. We did that for so many causes. And British Petroleum was one of them, wasn't it? <clears throat> oh yes, um, when uh, the big oil spill uh, in uh, Louisiana off the, the coast, mainly, but it spread to many other areas, and people lost so much. He and I spent uh, two weeks on, on one of the trips. We went down many times, and we even went out of the country. We went to London to meet with British Petroleum officials to try to help those people who had lost so much get reimbursed for them. And as you know, some people got very sick uh, from the oil that came into their yards, came into their water, uh, and, and the, the, the fish and all of that that they often uh, eight, but we had to go around uh, Florida, Louisiana, everywhere, um, uh, Alabama, where people had been damaged. We took two weeks off, rented an SUV, and wouldn't you know, he made me drive the SUV. I'd never <laughs> driven one before. He would just simply go to sleep, you know, and we were going. I'll never forget getting into Polk County, Florida, and he woke up and said, you want me to drive? And I said, we're here now, you know. And uh, I passed by this alligator pond and everything. When I got tired, I got out and, and took a rest and walked up and just sort of played around with the alligators on the other side of the fence. Only when we got to Miami did someone say, you did what? Do you know those alligators have been known to jump across that fence? <laughs> and when we went to London, it was um, it was interesting because I didn't know British law, and I was always along because I was the lawyer, you know, I was supposed to help get people out of jail and what have you, so they would always leave me out. But we went to London, and the, the people at British Petroleum, suddenly nobody was there. Everybody was out of the country that we asked for, and we had been told here in the United States that we needed to go to London to talk to the bosses of BP, but nobody was there when we got there. So we decided we were going to pick it in London. So we walked around with our little signs, and since uh, we didn't know too much about what the laws were there for picketing, like we know in D.C., you know, D.C. is the easiest place in the world to picket. You know, everybody comes here to picket. But we did a little bit of picketing, and we just decided that we would leave. Now, unfortunately, uh, by the time we left, if you remember, that's the time they began having either riots or revolts. I don't know which one to call it because I wasn't there. Mr. Gregory's idea was you know, that a riot is when you just tear things down, but if it's a revolt, then you have plans on what you would do. So um, hopefully the things that he and I did often were revolts against certain systems or certain problems that people were having. Uh, But we we, we worked together on so, so many issues, whether it was Trayvon uh, when he passed away or when when he was murdered, um, British Petroleum, Jordan Davis. I mean, you just tell us about something that was wrong or something unjust, and we did it. He even worked up in the Upper Northwest uh, for Indian fishing rights. I was not there. Mrs. Gregory was with him on that one, and both of them uh, went to jail for that. But he never mind going uh, to jail. I only went to jail with him um, one time. That one time was about a problem in the Sudan when uh, George Clooney, Martin King, Ben Jealous, Mr. Gregory, 
and a young woman from Trans Africa, and I went to jail. And that time I had a chance to go, if you can call going to jail a chance, uh, because the NAACP had sent their lawyer along, so I didn't have to be the lawyer that day. And we all went, and I'd never had handcuffs on before, but my hand was such, it's such that it was kind of tiny. I could fold my hand, and I could pull my hand out of those handcuffs that they put mm-hmm. on. But then when we got to the police station, I was afraid not to have them on, so I slipped them back in the um, handcuffs, and we went inside, and the two women were put in one of these big blocks. I mean, it really was a cell block. But Mr. Gregory, Ben Jellis, Martin King, George Clooney all went into the ones where, you know, you have the, the piece of iron down, but you can see everybody out. And they were having such fun in there. They were having such fun. And um, we were just in this big block. We could see almost nothing until George Clooney came in. And the policeman kept telling George, raise your foot, raise your foot. And he would raise it, and they would say, raise it higher. And they would go, oh, no, do I have to? If I'd known I had to raise my foot, I would have put on clean socks. So they had us laughing, but we were not <laughs> having fun in this big this big cell block that they put us in. But very soon they told me, okay, uh, you can come on out. I came out. They said, okay, you can go as soon as you get your $50. I said, but I already have my $50. And they're going, how do you have $50? I said, it's in my pocket. I had it way down in my jeans pocket, so I was able <laughs> to get out first. They, when they searched me, they couldn't feel my little $50 in my, in my pants. So <laughs> I was the first to get out and had the opportunity to go out and tell the, the press what was going on inside the jail. <laughs> Uh, but I, I do still have to go to I have to go to court on November 24th because of another rally I was in after Mr. Gregory passed away. This was a women's rally, and um, I, I do have to go to court for that because I de- I decided I was not going to pay the fifty dollars. So I have to go and tell it to the judge why on uh, November 20th of this year. So y'all pray for me so that I don't have to go to jail. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be out, look, look, we'll be out there protesting. If they okay. try to jail, Doctor Okay, well, I'll feel real safe knowing that my buddies are out there. <laughs> and, and, and you know what? When I was arrested in front of the Senate, I did the same thing. I refused to pay them money, and I went to trial. And strangely enough, because this is the District of Columbia, right? We end mm-hmm. up in traffic court. That's where you know that's <laughs> where they try. Our, first, we've got to first we have to watch a drunk driving video before. Mm-hmm. Before court even starts, because we don't prosecute certain crimes here in the district, the federal government does it. Uh-huh. Yeah, at the end, uh, the best part is at the end, the judge said to us, you're my hero. Uh, he said to me, you're my hero. I Aww. really appreciate people that stand up for what they believe in. And then he said, mm-hmm. but even heroes can't sit in the middle of the damn street. Bam, oh, you're well, guilty. I have, I have to ask you to advise me for... Um, November 24th, because I had no idea what it was going to be like. I've only gone into court as the lawyer, mainly, um, and uh, I, I'm looking forward to the 24th. Everybody else will probably be cooking turkeys, but I'll be standing before a judge. But you're talking about how, how strange it is in the district, although this was the Capitol Hill police who, who arrested me that day. Uh, but it, Mr., uh, Mr. Gregory was really funny. I remember once I went out of town to visit my mom near Christmas, and when I came back, he had been arrested. And when we went, you know, he wouldn't let anyone be his lawyer but me. He just decided to stay in jail until I came back. And when we walked into the courtroom, and the courtroom asked the lawyers to introduce themselves, I introduced myself, the prosecutor introduced himself. And the judge said, uh, young man, do you know who this is? And, and the prosecutor said, yes, sir, Dick, Rick, Richard Gregory. And he said, no, 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 do you really know who he is? Well, let me tell you who he is. And he started back to the 1960s, I believe, came up through the years saying, and that case was dismissed, and that case was dismissed, and that case was dismissed. And he said, and today this case is dismissed. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that was the D.C. police from the D.C. police, but um, Capitol Hill, I've not been before them yet. Well, you know, it was it, it wasn't so much different with us when we got uh, at the end of the at the end of the trial. Uh, uh, Doctor Williams, the Capitol Police hugged us, and I said it's to one right. of the policemen, "Yeah, I said, is that usually how it goes with perpetrators?" And she said, "No, <laughs> no not not usually." But I've got to tell you that 
Uh, we had some fun, too, as Senator Strauss was my lawyer, and he asked me before the trial, he said, have you ever been arrested? And I uh-huh. said, yeah, I was arrested one time when I was a teenager, uh, and, and and for, for I, I think we were drinking or something at uh, uh, underage. <laughs> and he said, well, what did they do to you? And I said, they called my mom. So when he had me on the stand, that's what he said to me, Senator, have you ever been arrested? And I said, yes. And, and they said, well, what did they do to you? And I said, they called my mom. And, of course, I was 60 years old at the time. So everybody in the courtroom laughed. And, and the judge said, okay, that's enough of that. You do that again, and I'm going to throw Buzzy out of here. You know, so, uh, uh, it, was, uh, it was a little bit of a, a, a circus. Well, you know, and the funny thing is, the Capitol Hill police didn't even tell me why, uh, what the what the cause was. Why was I arrested? You know, I asked them, and they told they didn't they didn't have any paperwork. They just gave me the sheet that said I had to be in court nine o'clock on November twenty fourth, and that's that's it. I still don't know what I'm charged with, but I have pictures. If they're charging me with blocking the entrance or whatever it was, I have pictures showing actually there was a police officer standing in front of the door. There was Congresswoman Sheila Jackson Lee next to him. And I was just kind of, you know, on the other side. I wasn't even near the door. I'm assuming that's what they'll charge me with. But it's okay. It was for a good cause. It was for the, you know, the women's rally. <laughs> and Mr. Gregory and I never mind going uh, to picket and, and risk getting, uh, you know, getting arrested for a good cause. Well, and you know what they the the uh, they charged me with blocking traffic or something, and and mm-hmm. I can't remember the exact charge. But uh, all the other defendants, there were like five of us. They all got off. Anise Jenkins, mm-hmm. you, you would have known everybody there, and mm-hmm. and they got off. And and so I said to my lawyer Paul, I said I'm the only one that didn't get off. They got off on some kind of technicality, and and mm-hmm. and he. Well, they had 45 minutes of video of you sitting in the middle of Constitution Avenue, so it was a little hard for me to prove that you weren't sitting in the middle of Constitution Avenue. <laughs> and I said, okay, that's, a, that's a valid point. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, it was for a good cause, too. It was for, and actually, it was when the uh, 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 Congress intervened, uh, and uh, we have. Uh, uh, law here in the District of Columbia that allows poor women access to certain types of health care, including abortion. And Congress intervened and said, no, you can't use your own money to do what you want to help women. So uh, we all went out there and sat sat in front of the, the Senate. Uh, let me ask you about D.C. statehood. Here we are. We've got two. I know you've been involved in this battle for a long time. We have two voting rights bills in front of the United States Senate right now, and not either one of them mentions D.C. statehood. 710,000 Americans disenfranchised and were not part of the voting rights movement. How do we get, you know, what do we need to do to get to be part of the national conversation on voting rights? Anyone? Yep. Well, I, I don't know if uh, if it has been taken through the uh, Congressional Black Caucus or not, but, you know, many of the members of the Congressional Black Caucus are always concerned about voting rights. And, of course, yeah. that would be uh, voting rights would be good for uh, all of them and the, the kinds of things they try to do for black Americans and others. So if it has not been taken through uh, one of them, like Cory Bush, I think Cory would be happy to have something like that uh, Terry Sewell, or even the Congressional Black Caucus Congresswoman who's in charge, uh, Congresswoman Joyce Beatty, um, I think it just probably has not gone to the right person yet. Well, you know, and that's true, right? That every progressive cause, every Democrat in America, mm-hmm. he has an interest in our suffrage because think of what two more liberal Democrats in the United States Senate. And a vote in the United States House would mean right now. It would just be tremendous uh, benefit to all the people that uh, are are out there struggling uh, to mm-hmm. forward a a progressive agenda. Maria, yeah, well, even um, Senator Cory Booker is, is much 
of an activist, so I'm pretty sure he would be interested in that subject. Why don't we just march down there one day and, and tell them what we're there for and um, see if they don't get a bill going. You know, not long ago, um, I was um, on the board of the World Conference of Mayors, and one day we were just thinking about the fact that there'd never been a woman who uh, who, who had a federal holiday. <clears throat> but now, uh, just, just discussing it a few weeks ago, there's already a bill out there to make... Um, Rosa Parks, the subject of a federal holiday for a woman. There's no woman of any color who has a federal holiday. Wow. Uh, you know, uh, I, these things are just coming to the surface now, right? After all these years, it's amazing to me uh, that uh, we we now finally, and, and you tell me if you think I'm right about this, but it seems that we're finally having a, a frank discussion about racism in america do you think that's mm-hmm. going on i mean are, are we, do you think we're finally you know we've had people on our show to talk about reparations we've had we've had all sorts of uh civil rights activists on our show and it seems to me that finally we're you know we're finally having a frank discussion about this you know and i went to- of reparations senator i just saw um mayor greg fisher from uh, louisville kentucky he was on, and he was supporting reparations. You know, there was a time we could not get a white person uh, anywhere to support reparations, but it's happening now that it's more than just black people talking about it, and uh, not just talking about it for black people, but all, you know, disenfranchised people or people who've had challenges in this, this country. So I was very happy to see a, a southern, you know, white mayor who uh, has had, certainly had its problems, and he's uh, gotten religion about <laughs> about reparations uh, for slavery, you know, or for enslaved people. So, and that's happening around the country. There are many other cities uh, that that's also dealing with it. So, we should never say never about any uh, issue that has to do with justice. And um, uh, statehood is certainly one of those issues where it is so unjust. I I want to see the day when you'll be able to go on that floor and vote for the things that Democrats are fighting to get done right now. And I hope that won't be too long from now. But we just have to just keep on pushing, keep on believing, and keep on working. But I think the best thing to do would be to have a Cory Booker or a Joyce Beatty or Cory Bush or somebody taking up this issue for us. Yeah, we certainly have to do that. Uh, uh, Maria, do you yes. have uh, Dr. Williams, one of the stories that you told me, and I'm curious if it's in your book, and perhaps you can share with our listeners about it, was the NAACP event that Dick Gregory attended with Medgar Evers, and how it is that they parted company the night that Medgar was assassinated. Oh, yes, he was down uh, in Mississippi working with Medgar, who, by the way, was his best friend, he absolutely loved Medgar Evers. And they'd been kind of joking around about something in the air, you know, something, somebody, something's going to happen, and, you know, and maybe somebody even was going to be killed. And, and, and Dick Gregory kept saying, well, I uh, hope it's you and start, not me, or <laughs> better you than me. He was joking with Medgar. And then Medgar got this message for Mr. Gregory to call home. And Mr. Gregory just kept saying, no, 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 we got to finish what we're doing here. I'll, I'll do it in the morning. And he just was pleading, please, beg, just just call home. And finally, um, he did call home and learned that his baby son, whose name was Richard, by the way, after him, had died. The baby was just a few months old. And, of course, he had to leave Medgar. He hated to do it. He wanted to be there with him, but he had to leave to go home with his family. And when he got there, of course, you know, he knew what had happened. And that was a very, very sad time for him. But once once that was over, he was ready to come back and to be with Medgar. And he tells us that, um, you know, like the, the, the show we had here at Arena Stage in Washington, D.C., Turned Me Loose. He mm-hmm. said that those were Medgar's last words, just like I say that wake up and stay woke were Mr. Gregory's last words that day, but that also um, Medgar, as they were holding him, him down in the hospital, he was saying, turn me loose. 
and then of course he he died uh, thereafter. But uh, Mr. Gregory, with Wake Up and Stay Woke, I, I will never forget the day we were at Sibley Hospital, and this was the day he made his transition. All week, um, his daughter and, and two of his sons and friend, a few friends were there with him. On the Saturday morning uh, that he left us, he actually was up, and they took him for a walk outside. And the doctors had said, you know, tomorrow you'll be able to go home. So we began preparing for Mr. Gregory to go home on the, the Sunday morning. And about 5 or 6 o'clock that evening, all the doctors who'd been working with him came in the room and said, we finally figured out what's wrong with you, and uh, we're going to have to take you over to George Washington Hospital. Well, we cleaned up the, out the room. We took all the flowers away that had been sent to him from all over and took his clothing, took everything out in preparation to meet him at the hospital. Well, as you know, he never made it to the transport vehicle. He never got there. But earlier in that day, he had been looking at the Charlottesville tragedy, and people were making a lot of noise in his room, and that's when he said, shut the F up, wake up, and stay woke. You can't learn anything if you're always talking. You've got to stop talking so you can learn something. And then later that evening, um, as you know, he did uh, pass on, but he left that message with us. And uh, forever since then, I have uh, sat by his bedside, and I told him that I would do all the things that we did together. I would continue to work on the causes he believed in, and I've tried to do that. It's been lonely, but I've tried to do that. Well, he, yeah, he... That that's one thing I was going to say about the Emancipation Day breakfast. Uh, you know, Dr. Williams, we have this thing, and it's a fancy event at the Willard Hotel, and we all sit mm-hmm. around and we talk about how wonderful we are and the work that mm-hmm. we do to move mm-hmm. forward. And 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 he gets up to speak, and he says, "What are you celebrating?" He said, "What are you celebrating? A hundred people in a room." to talk about an issue as important as having your basic civil rights taken away. He said, we should have a celebration when you have 10,000 people out on Freedom Plaza or you have 100,000 people in front of the Capitol. We shouldn't be sitting around, cel- what are we celebrating? And, and you mm-hmm. know, and that really the beauty uh, of, you know, one of his strongest things is that he he really always uh, got to the root of the uh, of the issue and spoke honestly about it. Uh, we really miss that voice. I know you miss him. He was your friend. Right. Uh, yeah. I, I miss him because he he you know I, you know he mentored me from afar. I mean, I never knew him very well, but I certainly uh-huh. follow his example. Well, you know, he was in D.C. so often, uh, you know, you could see him walking down the street. Everybody in my neighborhood thought he lived over here, you know, because we were always doing something together. And uh, he would stop and talk with anybody. It didn't matter who it was. We could walk down the street downtown or someplace. And young men, and men men of all races, you know, uh, like you, they may have met him at their college years ago, or they may have heard him or seen him, and they'd been following him all of those years for one cause or another, it, you know, maybe it wasn't always his comedy. It could have been when he spoke about the Vietnam War or, or the, the situation at Kent State University or some important issue. But he was, uh, people were walking up saying, I remember you when you said or when you did uh, certain things. And so it was always a pleasure to go out with him. The only thing is, whenever you went out somewhere with him, you never knew when you were going to get home because people were going to stop him <laughs> along the way. I have had to get a taxi back home sometimes because he continued to talk to everybody for every last minute, no matter what they asked. He had an answer for it. And, you know, he would buy so many newspapers, magazines, books, and everything. Sunday night was our night. We had to go to bookstores. We had to find magazines. And he always bought two of everything. Now, at first, I didn't know uh, why he would do that, but I soon found out because he could be traveling abroad or anywhere, and he would call me, and, and he had this memory. He would just say, oh, baby, would you look on page 63 and tell me what that quote is about something? He wanted to have it exact. So he would buy one to leave at my house and one at his house, and I've had to stay up all night from time to time reading a book to him because he wanted to know what was there, and he always advised us, 
don't just read one newspaper because you're just going to get one position. But if you read newspapers from around the world, you're going to get different positions on, on, on all of these things that are going on. And somewhere in between, you'll find the truth. But if you, you know, read just one, you're going to be partial to that position. But there's usually more uh, to that issue than there is from just reading one book. He would spend thousands of dollars on books and newspapers every week. Well, he's really well informed and and uh, and also very generous, as you, as you say. You know, uh, I br- I ran into him on the street uh, on more than one occasion, and he would always stop, and he was always so kind. Uh, let me ask you something about uh, uh, last month. We had Dr. Miller on our show. I know you've had him on your show too to talk about critical race theory. How important do you think it is for us to teach? critical race theory in schools? Well, I think it's important for young people to know the truth. Um, You know, there are even many young black children now who don't know their history because it's just not taught in the schools, in all of the schools. When I was attending those little black schools down in Louisiana, man, I thought I knew everything about everything, you know, because no, no one was told you can't teach this or you can't teach that. And young people need to know the truth about what happened. Now, I think that would help them toward making this a better nation, a better world, when they know what went on. And I I don't know how anyone could grow up and be a racist, um, you know, if they really knew the truth about this country and what has happened not only to Native Americans, but to black Americans, to Asian Americans, um, and, and to women, I mean. But if they know the truth, they can act accordingly. But when you hide the truth, then people get the wrong impression. They don't do the right thing. Uh, they can suspect that, you know, maybe we're all just lazy, dumb, whatever. But when you when you can really get critical race uh, theory and get young people to understand it, I don't think it will be negative for them as many of the people who are against teaching it or pretending now that it's going to be so negative. Since when has the truth kept anyone from working to better things, you know, and uh, to do to do right, to want to provide justice for those who have been mistreated in this country, I think it would be helpful because people grow up with a lot of misunderstandings, and 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 you know and they need to know the truth. It would help to make them free because as long as somebody is not um, is, is is not knowing the truth and they're acting on lies, then that's not good for our country. When we know the truth, the truth will set us free. And right now, none of us are free in this country until all of us are free. Well, you know, now that you mention that, I mean, I have a master's degree in public policy, and I assumed uh, that I knew everything there, there, mm-hmm. there was to know. And, and, you know, I was just aghast to find, to run into things in, in, you know, as I got older, things like the Amistad that I never heard about a situation like that where, mm-hmm. you know, it involved a president of the United States as, as legal counsel. And, and you know, there was this, this great controversy. They taught me about Nate Turner, though, you know, mm-hmm. not Turner, uh, but mm-hmm. they didn't me about things like that and so there's so much of that history that we don't know it doesn't even matter how well educated you are uh, you know everybody in dc can there. just walk they can just walk around this city and they see the signs that have gone up in recent years of things that happen i live on the waterfront around that area and you can just walk around and see the signs of things that happened that we never learned about in history but somebody finally put it out there and you think better of your country when you see the truth, you see the admission of the truth, and that helps people to understand what they should do, what they should know, and how they should act. But when, you know, the truth is kept from you, you can make a lot of mistakes in life. Yeah, absolutely. And certainly as a a country we have, um, so... Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And, and you know, the, the one thing, too, Senator, is that uh, many people don't know, I'm, and now I'm talking about African Americans, don't know many of the things that white Americans did 
to help uh, get us out of slavery, to help to get us out of negative situations. So sometimes people can make general statements about, I hate white people or whatever, but it's because they don't realize that all white people didn't commit these sins. Uh, but there were white people who risked their lives, too. Look at uh, Viola Lewis down uh, in, 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 in uh, the South, where she, she died trying to help people to get registered. Uh, there, there was the, the, the pastor, uh, the priest, who lost his life trying to get us across that uh, Selma Bridge. And there have been so many others who did so many great things to help us rid ourselves over America's original sin, I guess you might call it. Uh, so you can't hate a people, a whole, you know, all of the people, when you know what they have done uh, to try to make this a better world. And you can't just, just condemn a whole race of people because there were people who tried to help and still try to help us to overcome those sins that we once had in our country. Now, unfortunately, uh, the, the, the last president uh, exacerbated the situation and turned it into uh, our, our nation into a, a bit of bitterness and, and hatred, and it, as though black people, uh, native people, others don't have the right to protest what's still going on in this country. But if they knew the truth, the truth could have set all of us free by now. Well, you know, and that's the oldest political trick, isn't it? The oldest political yes. tactic. Uh, one of yes. my one of my mentors, who I'm sure you know about, uh, or one of the the people that 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 has always fascinated me, I should say, is Huey Long of, of Louisiana, who started yes. one of the biggest dynasties, political dynasties in America. Many of his mm -hmm. family, brother was governor, his his nephews were members of Congress. But anyway, mm -hmm. he used to say, right, there's a hundred thousand Frenchmen in New Orleans. Your house could burn down, your baby could drown, and not one of those Frenchmen would care. And that that's really the oldest trick in politics, isn't it, to separate mm -hmm. people uh, one against another. And, and Absolutely. And, and I compare it with the women's movement. Um, there are so many men who support the issues that we women have been working for, you know, all, all of our lives. And um, you, you can't just say, well... We're against men, and most people don't understand the Equal Rights Amendment. It's not just about women. Yeah, it's about women's equality, but it's also about equality for everybody. It doesn't mention women in what we're, we're talking about. So we have to know the truth, and, and there's that saying, you know, the truth shall set you free. So we, I, I just came back from Atlanta with the Harlem Globetrotters, and uh, that's an old group that I guess you have to be of a certain age to remember them and, and all the tricks and everything that they did. But these are men who are genuinely interested in what's happening in this world. In the case of my trip to Atlanta, this was about the Equal Rights Amendment. They were going like, we didn't know. We didn't know about this. And they invited me there to, to, to talk about the Equal Rights Amendment. So, you know, you can find friends and supporters in all kinds of quarters if they just know the truth. Now, I know there's some exceptions. We've had some people who know the truth, but uh, like you were talking about critical race theory, but they don't want to admit it. They don't want to acknowledge it. But on the other hand, there's so many who really want to know the truth because they believe the truth can set us free. Well, I guess I'm old because uh, I'm well acquainted with uh, who Metal Arc Lemon and Curly Neal and all those guys are. Mm -hmm. I've seen them. I, I, my, my mother took me and my friends when I was a little boy to see him, and I took my son to see him, too. They're just amazing, mm -hmm. amazing yeah, entertainment. Well, I, I don't know all the all the names, but uh, there still were several um, uh, still alive. There's Bobby Hunter, there's Gator. There, I, I don't remember all the names of the ones who were there um, because I didn't get a chance to meet everybody. But they are genuinely interested in getting the Equal Rights Amendment passed, and Bobby Hunter has just taken a, a you know, big interest in this uh, case. <laughs> That's great, because, you know, I worked on it when I was in college, uh, mm -hmm. uh, Williams, and it amazes me that some 40 years later it still hasn't passed. Maria, and we're I, almost know, we're running out of yeah. time here. Let me ask you to if you have another question uh, yes i think we would be remiss of speaking about the life of dick gregory if we did not mention his hunger strikes or his fasting strikes do you want to speak about that dr williams because he did it dozens of times 
getting as thin mm-hmm. as 95 pounds yeah. in the name well, of social it, justice. <laughs> absolutely. Well, he did the, you know, the trip from California, uh, Muhammad Ali and other stars came and walked, you know, for a while with him. Uh, but he, he did walking to, to call attention to certain injustices. Um, he went to Iran to, to try to bring the people home there, uh, went there to stay a few days, wound up staying there for months, went up to the upper northwest to help uh, Native Americans get their fishing rights. He walked from New Orleans to Baton Rouge, uh, and there, you know, he came up with the Bahamian diet. Many people of a certain age will remember the Bahamian diet. He went to Ethiopia. He took he, he took product there. He got an airplane and flew food down to Mississippi, and he didn't care uh, whether it was just blacks getting the food. He welcomed white people who also were very poor in Mississippi and needed it, and any any normal person basically would have said, all the things white people do to black people in Mississippi, and you're looking out for their health? Well, he did that. That's the way he was. And you talked about all the, you know, how tiny he was when he passed away. Yeah, from the days you talk about, he had lost even more weight uh, after that. But he still kept going, kept trying to do the right thing and to encourage others. And so when people ask me, they say, well, you know, um, there have been so many movies, documentaries made uh, about him. Um, what, what is it uh, that's different about your book? I said, my book is about experiences I had with him, about things he told me personally. That's what makes it different. So I hope people will want to read uh, Dick Gregory, Wake Up and Stay Woke. Uh, and it may even remind you of some of the things that uh, you remember, you remember uh, about him. He was also a track star, if you remember. He, he talked mm-hmm. about the importance of walking. In his early days, he ran all the time, but later on, I couldn't keep up with him when he ran, but then he started to walk, and at first I had to kind of like trot along with him to keep up with him. But he slowed down, you know, as he aged, and I was able to walk with him. Sometimes we walked up to five miles a day. And the other thing people often remember is water, drinking water, the importance of that. You never saw him without a bottle of water. So all those bags he carried on his shoulders, you can bet there was some water in there and there was some vitamins in there for whomever he met who had a cause and needed to have something right away. Well, that's a great way to end things. Uh, We're out of time, and we so much appreciate, Dr. Williams, you coming on and talking about your dear friend. He was uh, an activist that uh, we all, any activist in Washington, admired this man for what he did and how he lived his life. And, and, and he, you know, he's just a shining example to all of us. And thanks so much for and, and, and since I won't interfere with your program, you'll have to agree to come on mine sometimes on Wednesday morning, 10 o'clock, WPFW. I absolutely will. I'll even okay. get dressed up for the occasion. I would, <laughs> okay. I would. <laughs> okay. Well, thank you so much, Senator, and thank you for uh, allowing me to come on tonight. Thank you, oh, Maria. Thank you so You're welcome, Dr. Williams. And we're going okay. we're gonna to send, send this song out to you, Dr. Williams, and everybody out there. Uh, this week would have been Dick Gregory's birthday, and so yes. uh, here's On Tuesday would have been his 89th birthday, and he always said about that, no Columbus Day. He When he got out of school, he thought they were celebrating his birthday because it was October 12th. <laughs> that was his birthday. <laughs> well, and so this goes out. We actually sang... We had we had an event which we've uh, alluded to uh, uh, with a um, turn me loose, and we had a reception after. And his lovely daughter, who also follows in his footsteps of activism, Ayana Gregory, Ayana, yes, yes, came and helped us sing this song. So this goes out to you and and to and to the memory of Dick um, Gregory. Uh, here's Stevie Wonder with that. Okay. Thank you. And I end my programs with I love you and I mean it. Uh, Thank you. We love you. Take care, everyone. Thank you. Thank you.